You're listening to another New Hope Chapel New Hope podcast. podcast. This message is from our series on 1 Samuel, presented by Scott Schuler, member of New Hope Chapel's teaching team. Good morning, saints. I guess every, every church, I can remember the churches where I was assigned as pastor for a long time, every church has its own temperament, its own personality, and what economists would call their own bundle of needs and expectations. And um, the three churches that I served had basically the same, which was, get me through the next six days so that by next Sunday I haven't run out of gas altogether. And so it was sort of my job to rev them up and get them so that they could do these things. Uh, Here, what I've noticed um, more than I usually see is a sense of a shared journey, that we're all working together, building each other up, helping to the extent that we can. What what can we do to help each other uh, to move along in the faith? And I'm I'm grateful for that today because while normally um, I'm pretty bubbly, uh, today while I was talking or... or, um, Going over the sermon with uh, in my prayers, it just hit me just how much we're asked to do and how much we're expected to do. And sometimes we seem like more than conquerors, and other times we just like, Lord, this is big. I don't. I just don't know how. You know. In fact, forgive me, Lord. Yesterday, as I was preparing, I'm thinking. Sometimes, Lord, it looks like we're losing. It just looks like we're losing. I don't, when I read the newspaper, I don't see many Christian triumphs. I don't see a whole lot of descriptions in the news about where the church is making inroads. Now, I know the Lord is, is, uh, is winning. I know the Lord is victorious. But sometimes Satan just gets to us, and we just start to fade. We're, we're up to, to very big things here, which can only be done by the power of God, and if we are not careful, you can feel like I feel this morning, which is um, on the run and in retreat. So as part of the shared journey, my brothers and sisters, I am counting on a certain amount of encouragement and the uh, enfolding of steadfast love. Can Can I please ask you for that? Thank you. God's in control. One of the things that we read in 1 Samuel is a culture that has ceased to believe that. They just don't believe it anymore, and they want to do something as an alternative. Say, God, we just don't trust you to lead us anymore. We don't like the way you're doing things. We have our own way. God is in control. And we go to his word and we can read over and over again things in the scriptures that tell us that he's in control and tell us how strong he is, how mighty he is, how wonderful he is, whose side we are on, how how, um, we are not orphaned, as Jesus said. It all belongs to to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything, no matter what it looks like to us, no matter what it looks like to me, We are not alone. God is in control. He does know what's going on. His power is at work. We are moving towards a resolution 
and a fulfillment and a climax to all of this, which is going to be too wonderful for words. It is he who calls the starry host by name, and in him all things hold together. All things. One of the things that we forget sometimes, one of the things I forget, they always tell us, only speak for yourself. And I catch myself all the time saying we, and I could be the only one in the room thinking these things. Um, I forget that creation is not something that the Lord created and set in motion like a clockwork toy. It's not winding down. It's not going on its own momentum. Um, It is more than just a well-designed system feeding off of energy wherever it comes from. Jesus actually, if he were not holding the universe together, it would fly apart. He, by his power, is holding everything together from atoms and molecules to galaxies and solar systems. His power is at work all the time or there would be nothing. In him, all things hold together. All things live and move and have their being. This has gotten to be a sort of popular thing to look at. It's called God's eye. It is a nebula. My guess is the first astronomer to see this must have really been blown away to see something in the telescope looking back at him or her. (laughs) And not a sparrow falls but that your father doesn't know it. When we are defeated, when we are sad, when we are in retreat, when we are feeling... Do you all know the word agoraphobic? You know what that means? You're afraid to even go out of the doggone house. Um, I don't want anything to do with people. I I just don't have it in me to put on the, the show. I don't have it in me to put on the facade. If I could just sit here and wait it out. Um... But God sees that and loves us just the same. We are in his hand. He knows what we're going through. Not a sparrow falls that your father doesn't know it. This is comforting. Um, I'm not going through this by myself. You're not going through whatever you're going through by yourself. The Lord of hosts who created this knows who you are and loves you. Put a couple of verses up here. Again, we're looking at two different, two long uh, passages, two entire um, chapters. And it's just, it's too much to read. But there are some things in here that point us in the direction of where we're going. About The whole idea about being set apart, this whole idea about being set apart that we're talking about in First Samuel is so important. It's so central to who we are that we are called to a particular kind of life under a Lord that, that only we serve. You either serve him or you don't. Choose this day who you were served. Here in the first Samuel, Saul heard their words, the people who were talking, and the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. This was the response to a threat from a neighboring king. Remember, they wanted a king in the first place because they wanted the king to fight their battles. Here was another battle that was coming up from a surrounding kingdom, and what the king was telling them was that they were going to, to uh, come in and basically run roughshod over them, Uh, Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. You see the order of this here? The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and then he burned with anger. It was the Spirit of God that put within him the anger, the, the, uh, the energy, what it took in order to be able to confront the enemy. There are enemies. We have an enemy. 
If we forget that we have an enemy, we are defeated. We know that, right? The enemy, we must keep the enemy in our minds and keep the enemy in, in our uh, um, sight so that we know when we are being attacked, when we are being confronted, when we are being fooled, we need to understand this. We, are, we have made somebody who is very strong very mad. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? These were the doubters who didn't want to rule. It's not that they didn't want a king. They just didn't want Saul to be king. But Saul was the one that um, God chose. Bring these men to us, and we will put them to death. But Saul said, Nope, no one shall be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. He's showing mercy. Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Israel was moving towards their understanding that God was still pleased with them and still loved them. They, they sinned. We all sinned. It just so happened that their sin was, give us a king. We all have sins of our own, and if the Lord stopped loving us because we sinned, we would be in a great deal of trouble. And the Lord loves his people here as well. And they remembered, and he remembered them. Now here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him, and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid. One of my favorite expressions in the Bible. Glad it's in there so often. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they're useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. The Lord sets forth his terms that he does love us, he does care for us. He's working with us even through this request that the people of Israel had made. But it is necessary that we not forget and that we continue to obey. The Lord is our Lord. We continue to serve him. It does matter when we don't. A people set apart. Does it show that we're set apart, that we're different from the other people around us? Does it show, can somebody look at us and tell, can somebody look at us as individuals, as a family, can somebody look at us as a church and say they're different? They're not like us. They don't follow the same rules. The difference is apparent. I can see it. Should we not be indistinguishable from those who are not? Shouldn't, again, shouldn't we be able to be told apart? If we are people set apart, it should be apparent to those from, from whom we are set. We're weird. Um, 
I love this one guy. He had a T-shirt years ago. He was um, a drummer, which is another reason I loved him. And he said, um, he said, who's, it's, this T-shirt said, whose fool are you? And it was about being, a, you know, about being a fool for Christ. The world doesn't, under, you know, the world doesn't understand this. When we, when we admit to being fools for Christ, they just, they think we're seeing the light and we're finally understanding that we're being foolish. No. Um, they, we understand that our wisdom is his foolishness compared to God. It should show that we're set apart. Being set apart is a call. Being set apart is a responsibility. Being set apart, and when we re- respond to it, we hear what we're being set apart for and what it requires. And sometimes, it just seems so hard. Do I have to do all of this? Do I have to give this up and that up and something else? Do I have to look like an idiot in front of my friends who I love so much? When I go to my high school reunion, do I have to then basically find out that the only people that I really have anything in common with were the people that I thought were, were nerds in high school when I was there, and all the people I thought were cool were, are still interested in going out after the reunion and getting faced? Um, very different thing. Do I have to be so different? peer pressure. I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to be so different that everybody can spot me and call me names. I don't want to deal with mockery. I don't want to deal with exclusion. I don't want to deal with any of the consequences of making the, the, um, uh, the people mad. But that's what we're called to do. We're people of the covenant. There was a time when people of the covenant argued about biblical inerrancy. There was a lot of conversation about this, and fundamentalists were held up to ridicule. Remember? When the word fundamentalist first came up, it was an insult. It was viewed for, even within the church, the people who were viewed to be the most backward, the most uh, um, medieval, unscientific people you could think of, biblical inerrancy. Now, we're confronting a widespread objection even to biblical relevancy. When we, t- when we say to people that the reason we live our lives as we do, our values spring from our Christian faith, from God, as presented in the Bible, that's a good way to tell the world that you're weird. The world doesn't get its values from here anymore. The world is at war against these values. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sort of keyed up. I was sitting down a minute ago, nice and calm. <laughs> now it's like, where are they? Let's go. <laughs> they're, they're, out, they're out there. They're making fun of us. Oh, no, they're not, not making fun of us. Who can tolerate such agony? We can. We can tolerate this. My values come from God, whom the world now says, not only aren't we supposed to be paying any attention to them, but in fact or being accused of doing more harm than almost any other historical force that people can, can think of. Uh, there have, has anybody heard, this is one of my favorites, forgive, forgive me friends, you've heard this before. Um, have you ever, has anybody heard of the Jesus Reimagining Conference that took place about 20 years ago? It took place in Minneapolis, and um, I'm going to do something which I guess I, I've, I've always sort of, I never know what to do, but There were certain churches that bought into this. The Reimagining Conference went to Minneapolis, and by the time they got done with Jesus, you wouldn't have recognized them. 
He, he didn't die for your sins. If he didn't die for your sins, then, of course, raising him from the dead was not going to happen because he didn't die for your sins in the first place. Uh, there was no resurrection. There was no atonement. Uh, God was considered a, ch- um, a child abuser for putting his... And they said, we are not going... And this is a direct quote. We are not going to um, glorify the yucky stuff of crucifixion. The yucky stuff. It was yucky. And therefore, that alone means we shouldn't be paying any attention to it, that it couldn't possibly have happened, and that it couldn't have any significance for us. We are set apart. Because our fundamental values come from a source that the world in large measure denies even exists. And if they do acknowledge his existence, they have remade him after their own image into the kind of God they want, who is powerless, malleable, uh, influenced by human whims and trends, and nowadays oftentimes behind the times. The nation's relationship with God. This is this. I was an economist for a long time. I'm a statistician. I can't get away from bell-shaped curves. <laughs> they seem to just pop up everywhere. I actually had trouble finding one with no numbers on it because I don't know enough about computers to take the numbers off. <laughs> um, there are some within the, the, the uh, population who are surrendered to Christ. Do we know how small that number is and how small Jesus tells us that it is? In our eagerness, and it's, it's a good eagerness, to go and make disciples of all nations, one of the things we forget is Jesus says, the way is narrow and few find it. Um, I don't know what to do with that other than to believe it. I don't know who those people are. I don't know who doesn't find it. I feel bad for the people who don't find it. I want everybody to come to Christ. Jesus wants everybody to come to Christ. But Jesus knows the human heart, and he knows that few find it. There are some who will never find it, some who reject it outright, and then you've got that big, big group in the middle that are sort of ambivalent, um, lukewarmish. They don't know what to do with all of this, other than the fact that if you surrender to God altogether, you're going to be a weirdo. You're going to have to give up a lot of things. You're going to be poorly thought of. It is going to change your life in a way that you are not willing to do. This is serious stuff because this is the... I, I don't know that these percentages are accurate, but I don't think they're far wrong. The number of people, they say, who, out, who outright reject God in the United States is not very big. But the people who do believe in God or do profess a belief in God have so altered him and... and uh, um, corrupted him, that he's, that again, just like Jesus of the Jesus Seminar, he's hard to recognize. He doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. He doesn't sound like the Jesus who said, I've come to gather up my sheep. He doesn't sound like the Jesus who said, I died and I rose again, and I go to prepare a table for you. And so our faith, as we've mentioned before, and I know I've repeated this, and I don't think I'll ever not repeat this. I learned my times tables the same way. I didn't learn them in one day sitting in Mrs. Perkins' class. 
I learned them by doing them over and over and over again until I knew what seven times six was. The same thing with trusting God, because the reason I have to repeat this all the time is because over and over and over in the course of any single day, I don't trust him. I do all kinds of stuff without trusting him. I don't mean to. I don't say, Lord, I'm not going to trust you with this. Lord, I'm going to... I just don't. I just don't do it by habit. I don't do it by temperament. And I find out later on when I'm in trouble or I find out later on when the Holy Spirit convicts me, I said, whoops, I skipped God again. I went straight past him to do what I wanted to do. I didn't trust him. Or I fell for that old teaching that I used to hear in the church I grew up in. God doesn't work that way. He's not interested in little things. He's not interested in details. He doesn't uh, work miracles. I heard that. Did you hear that? He doesn't work miracles anymore. Miracles went out with the apostles. As soon as uh, Jesus raised from the dead, they did a couple of, of things up through like 70, 80 AD, and that was it for miracles. A lot of churches are teaching this. And a lot of people are buying it because, of course, it makes the world a lot less uh, uncertain when you don't have to worry about a miracle coming your way. <laughs> miracles can be upsetting, can they not, depending on what it is. <laughs> the people of Israel said something that we hear today. God's messing up. We've had all we can take of God's ways of doing things. A man or men can run things better than God can. Give them the responsibility of doing the work of God, the work of mercy, the work of um, feeding the poor, the wor- whatever. Give it to the government, pay your taxes, consider the job done, walk away satisfied. I did my part, I paid my 14%. It would have been 16%, but I found a couple of loopholes. (laughs) So I'm whittling away at what I'm giving the government money to do, the things that I don't even know that they should be doing. But I'm giving them responsibility for it. All right. Prayer. Um, Everything that I talk about when it comes to God, sooner or later it comes back to prayer and talking to God. Always, always, always. There's no substitute for it. In the Old Testament, we know that he spoke through the prophets. The people would go to the prophets and they say, is there any word from the Lord today? Uh, when, when Steve first started um, teaching this lesson, uh, remember the scripture? I don't remember it exactly, Steve. I might need your help, but it was like in those days, there was no word from the Lord. The word from the Lord is rare. Remember that? Right near the beginning. Right. In those days, the word from the Lord was rare. They would go to the prophets and they would find, you know, do you have anything? And that's where they got their word from. Today, he has spoken to us by his son and he has written his law upon our hearts. All of us knows and has the opportunity to know Jesus equally. All of us. There are lots of different theological discussions about how close you can get and who's going to be able to do it. I will write my law upon my hearts, and all will know me. All right. This is what sort of got me depressed. (laughs) Where's, Where's that help? (laughs) What's God up to? The people of Israel were saying the same thing. They were looking around them, seeing what was going on. They were saying, what's God up to? We can't figure him out. Give us a king. 
Kings are easy to understand. We might not like what they do. In fact, God even told them through uh, Samuel, you're not going to like what he does. But he's a human. And for most people, that was enough. I can deal with a human, even a corrupt human, even a bad human. I know more about how they work than about how God works. The truth is, what God's up to, I don't know. And neither does anybody else. Beware of people who talk as though they have an inside track on what God is doing. And they know what he's doing in the United States, or they know what he's doing, in, or they know anywhere else. Just that it, we cannot know. It is not given for us to know what he is doing altogether. And there are people claiming to know what he's doing altogether. And if we listen to them, you are going to get more contradictory information than you can put on one sheet of paper. Um, The fact that they don't know and the fact that they're so sure comes out in the fact that they're telling you he's doing this, that, and the other thing, and they can't possibly exist at the same time. He tells us, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. They just aren't. My ways are as high above you as the heavens are above the earth, and figuring out all that God is doing, everything we can, is just not given to us. It's just not available to us. We can't. Based on what I know about God, it looks to me that the world's not going the way that it should be going. It looks to me like we should be going from victory to victory and the various kinds of moral outrages that are being being, uh, visited upon us. It seems like these things should be getting less and less and less. They're not. Um, Things are going on that we wouldn't have dreamed about 50 years ago. Just wouldn't have dreamed about it. The kids have all gone to church, right? Do you got? Has anybody heard? Know what Nambla is? Yes, the National Association, the National uh, Man Boy Love Association. This he's he's yeah he's legal. He (laughs) who could have thought that a group like this could have existed? This is a group whose stated goal and purpose is to make not only legal, but accepted sexual contact between men and boys. They have a group for this. And they pay dues, and they have newsletters, and websites, and all this other kind of stuff. And there are people listening to them saying, we should be free to do whatever we want, and therefore, where do you draw the line? And they've stopped drawing the line where they used to. The world isn't going the way we think that it should be going. So what what I do see, what I'm looking at, is it of God? Is God behind these things? Where is God in all of this? Some would say he's acting to bless us. Some would say he's giving us over to our sin. Some would say that God is sitting back to see what happens. A lot of people believe this. A lot of people believe he's giving us over to our sins. A lot of people believe he's acting and that he's doing something good that we maybe just can't discern in the midst of all this. We do know one thing. God is there. We do know one thing. He is in control. He is in power. And this whole um, uh, creation is moving towards a fulfillment and a destiny and a climax of his design. He will not be thwarted. It is moving in that direction. It is taking a path that I would never have picked 
never would have designed, never would have predicted. This is not the path. If, I, if you were to say, how do we get to when Jesus returns, I wouldn't have picked anything that's going on now. But since we know Jesus is coming back, it must go through here somehow. It's following this path somehow. I cannot, I've heard this. I used to say this. I can't believe in a God who allows evil, who allows suffering. But what you're really saying is, who doesn't do things my way. I know how the universe should be proceeding. I know how the United States should be proceeding. I know how um, government should be going. I know where the culture should be going. If it would just do things the way I know, everything would be fine. I can't believe in a God whose ways depart from my own. I'm free to say that, but not without consequence. There is a consequence for telling God he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, I don't believe God is ambivalent about that. From what I understand about God, he should be doing things this way. He should be, uh, we know what we would have him do. If we were, if we, Lord, if, if you just came and, and, and you just decided, I'm going to set everything right in this world that's wrong right now, we have a pretty good idea, of, we think, of what those things would be, what changes would take place. I'm not sure we do, because God's ways are higher than our ways. Criticizing God because we can't figure out what he's doing. Second-guessing God because we can't figure out what he's doing. These things erode our faith. Do you understand this? A God that Scott Schuler can figure out is not God. <laughs> right, Denise? Yes, sir. Right. <laughs> You don't want me designing God, trust me. And if I can figure him out, then he's way, way smaller a God than, uh, than he really is. So we have to let God be God, whatever it is. Now, that doesn't mean we just stand back and, and just withdraw from everything. It means exactly the opposite. What God, letting God be God means he's the God of his church, of which we are a part, that he has gathered together to do colossal things setting us apart to do his tasks, the kinds of things that we should be known for and that will identify us as, as people of the covenant. We are, we are a people set apart, and he is with us. doesn't always look like it. Sometimes it seems very individualistic and that it's not having an effect on the culture. He's at work, and we don't always see it. But it starts with us. It starts with each of us as individuals, the members of the church, gathered together. I honor God when I ask him to forgive me. Forgive me even, Lord, for, for pretending to know who you are, anything that I didn't hear from you. If I didn't hear it from you, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to make things up. I don't want to synthesize. I don't want to manufacture. I want to believe what you tell me about yourself. There is a reason you told me these things in the Bible and left the other stuff out. It would be in there if you wanted me to know it. Humble me. Illumine me. We used to sing a hymn like that. Remember that? Um, um, Open my heart that I may see. Nobody remembers that hymn anymore, I guess. Illumine me, spirit divine. 
Shine a light on me. Shine a light in the dark places. Let me see what it is you're trying to tell me. Teach me thy ways. Strengthen me. Embolden me. Guide me. Use me. And sustain me through it all. Because it's going to be tough and we can't do it without him. These seem like good prayers to me. This seems like something that we could include in our prayers every night to good effect. Because we need every one of these things every day. We don't always conduct all of our battles for the church on the steps of the White House or the steps of the Capitol building or on the, in the middle of Wall Street. Wherever we are, wherever the Lord has called us to, that's the guide me. Put me where you want me. Use me where you want me. Is it here? Is it in my family? Is it in my house? Is it in my neighborhood? Is it in Wall Street? Is it in Paris? Is it in Singapore? Where is it? God looks for us to serve him through our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. With our worship, as we worship in spirit and in truth, as we put our trust in him, God wants to be trusted. Trusted, to go out on a limb. To do things that we would not ordinarily do, that the whole world tells us not to do, that the whole world tells us can't possibly work. We're not interested in it working so much as we're interested in honoring God and letting him be God. We have no... Um, we, have, we have no agenda as far as getting God to do the things we want him to do. We want to find out what he wants and to do those things. Obedience. Power. One of the reasons we're going to win, one of the reasons God is going to win, is because he's omnipotent. He has the power to do these things. We forget about the power oftentimes because when we start to rely on human power, we find out how weak it is. We do need to be about the work of evangelism. We do need to be about the work of righteousness. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to do the works of mercy, working for personal and corporate, that's us, holiness, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is who we are. This is, a, this is a people set apart. This doesn't describe, really, any of the people who are not set apart, who are not called. The, in all of these, you know, serving God through our trust to him, our obedience to him, our power. That's basically it. And with sermons, I never know how to start them and I never know how to end them. Some of you know that very well, the ending part especially. When is this over? Um, we need to understand who it is we're serving, who we love, and what we're called to do. We need to not let the world intimidate us. We need to not let uh, events, uh, the news, we need to not let these things scare us or drive us backwards. We need to understand that we have... Um, joined and are joined to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a God who knows exactly what's going on, where he's going, where he's taking us. Um, God's plan is not going to be delayed. It's not going to be uh, thwarted. It's not going to be defeated. The long and the short of it is, is we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him where we, where we want it. When his church says, where do you want me? Let me know you. Bring me close to you. Let me know you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to be acquainted with you. I want to know you inside out. How well can a human being know you? Let me know you that well. And then use me to do whatever it is you want me to do. This is when the church begins to make a difference in the world. In a way that even those who don't know the Lord say, there's something different about these people.
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.